All right. Uh, we are going to start off today, uh, and I want to share something with you that God has just been drilling into my life. Uh, when we talked about passing on, this is immediately what I knew I was going to share. Uh, something for the last two years we've been working on. But before we do, I need you to do me a favor. I'm going I'm to ask a question, and I want you to find the person or people that best answer this question. All right? And the question is this. Who is the most faithful person you've ever known? Ever known, ever met. It can be a family member, friend. It can be somebody famous. But get in your mind the most faithful person you've ever met. You guys got it? Hold on to that, hold on to that name. Hold on to that person. Uh, for me, it was, it was really easy. As soon as I hear who's most faithful, I immediately think of my friends Robin and Nate Fouts. And you guys, many of you know their story. Uh, if you do, you understand why that comes to my mind. But um, people that just live their lives unashamedly saying, I believe in God and I believe that he has a plan for our lives. And so no matter what, I'm going to stay in that plan. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how illogical it may seem, I'm going to stay in God's plan 100% of the time, all the time. That's, that's the thoughts to me. And I'm sure whoever you picked, that fits. Like that's a description would apply to everybody, whether it's a family member, a grandfather, a grandmother that may have lived through some horrible depression times and kept their family on track so that now there's generation after generation of believers in that family because of the faithfulness of those grandparents. Or maybe it's somebody famous like Jerry Falwell and you can just literally look on this mountain and see his faith in 500,000 buildings. Um, okay, maybe not that many, but it just seems like they're building one a week. So um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but that, that idea that these people have something that's so out there that people recognize it and are drawn and attracted to it, a faith that matters, that is healthy and thriving, and people want to be around that and want to emulate that. And, and I've got good news. That person that's in your mind right now, that can be you. And that can be me. We're going to look today in scripture and we're going to talk about how to build our faith. How to grow our faith up so that it is so strong. So that it is so lasting. That it is so evident that in two weeks, two months, or two years from now, you can be the answer to that question. When someone says, who's the most faithful person you know? Oh, that's Mark. That's Sally. That's Tom. That can be you. And we're going to look at that today in Scripture. We're going to be in Genesis. But before we get there, there's two questions that we need to, to come to an agreement on before we can move forward. And the first is simply this. What is faith? You know, I asked that question to find the most faithful person and think about that. And then we've talked you know, being faithful and what that looks like. But the word faith, what does that mean to you? Because too often believers, and I many times fall into this, we equate the word faith with the word believe. And we leave it at that. I, I believe or I have faith that God has a plan in, for my life. I believe that he's going to provide this need. I have faith that he's going to keep me safe we interchange those words just like they're natural. And, and while belief may be a part of faith, as I was researching, as I was preparing, I found what I think is the perfect definition for us as believers of what faith is, and that's this. Faith is 
a belief and trust in and loyalty to God. A belief and trust in and loyalty to God. You see, belief is there and that's important. We do need to believe with our whole hearts that that God loves us, that God has a plan for us, that he wants to reveal that to us and lead us and direct us. Believing that is, is, is at the utmost foundation of faith. But we can't leave it there. Too often that's what we do. Oh, yeah, I have faith. I believe. But this definition tells us, it says, but we need to trust in and have loyalty to God. Trust in and have loyalty to God. So it's beyond just belief. It's taking that belief and then trusting that the plan that God has is the best thing for me. And then being loyal to that by following that 100% without question, without deviation. That's faith. Taking your belief, putting trust in that, putting loyalty to God in that, and letting that be how you live. Which leads me to the second question. Why then do we need to grow our faith? Why do we need to grow it? Isn't there just some verse that I can read or maybe some magic pill that I can crush up in my coffee that is going to make me more faithful? No. If you look in Galatians, Galatians tells us in chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit are, and it starts to list them, love, joy, peace, and then it comes to faith. But the fruit of the Spirit is faith. What a great correlation. What a great representation of that spiritual discipline to say faith is like fruit. For those of you that like to garden, that like to farm, this may hit more at home with you than me because I'm a city guy. I've never planted and sustained anything in my life. So um, if it doesn't work, if this doesn't make scientific sense, just go with me. Uh, But they compare it to fruit. So if you're trying to to grow up fruit, whatever, watermelon, apples, grapes, whatever it may be, that requires work, requires intentionality. You need to follow directions and and do what you're supposed to do to, to, to protect that and grow it up and make it strong and make it last. You can't just drop a seed in the ground, come out the next morning and assume that there's going to be a watermelon there. That's not how it works. There's got to be patience. There's got to be steps. You have to protect and build and nourish and grow it up so that it gets bigger and better to the point where it's fully ripened and fully mature. That's our faith. That's our faith. We have to, we have to be constantly working and growing our faith day after day because like fruit, like plant, like vegetation, there's no in-between. It's not, okay, I've grown this watermelon. It's going to be good for the next six months. I'm just going to leave it there. No, it's it's a day-to-day. If we leave this alone, if we ignore our faith, it's going to start to wither and die. So it's either one or the other. It's either being grown and nourished and strengthened, or it's being ignored and it's starting to wither, it's starting to die, it's becoming weak. There's no in-between. It's it's one or the other. It's always moving. James tells us this in chapter 2. It says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Faith without works is dead. This faith, this, this pronouncing, this belief that I have faith in God, but the actions don't support that. How we live our lives, the things we say, what we do, is contrary to that statement. 
That faith is dead. It's just, it's just words. If we say, I believe, I have faith in God, there has to be an action to support that, to build that up, to give that a foundation so that people don't just hear us say that, they see it in our lives. Now we hear that, oh, there's an action to it. So I have to do something, right? So there's, there's what, a four-step plan to faith? Uh, I do these, one, two, three, four, do them in order, check them off, and I'm good for six months. I'll come back for my faith checkup later. No, no. The action that is required to grow our faith isn't something we have to do. It's, it's something we have to not do. The action that they're talking about is letting go. Letting go of control in our life. You see, it's, it's hard to say, I believe that God has a plan. I trust that plan enough that I'm going to be loyal to him and obedient 100% of the way if we can't let go of control in our life. See, those two questions lead me to our bottom line, and that's this, that in order to grow your faith in God, you've got to give up control in your life. You must give up control in your life. It's, it's, it's impossible. You can't say, yes, I have complete faith. I'm growing. I'm making sure that my faith is protected and being nurtured and strengthened. But I'm going to kind of hold on to this control in my life because I, I know better. I know a quicker way to get there. No. If we want to grow faith in our life, if we want to grow our faith in God, we've got to let go of control in our life. And that's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do to say, hey, you, you're leading me to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this, even though it doesn't make sense. Even though there's the potential for me to experience pain and hurt. Even though I may not know the ultimate outcome. You're just revealing a portion. I trust you enough and I'm loyal enough that I'm just going to step out and do it. When everything about who we are as humans is screaming, no, don't let go of control. That doesn't make sense. We're going to look at two people in scripture today that I think best exemplify first the process that growing your faith is a day by day, week by week, month by month process. And then at the same time, they're showing that sometimes we make the wrong choice. Sometimes we can't let go of that control. And those two people are Abraham and Sarah. Uh, many of you may have heard those, that story of him growing up. If you've been in church at all as a kid, you slung Father Abraham. Some of you may not. That's okay. We're going to go through some details of their life. And before we get started, I just want to clarify. I'm going to say Abram a lot. And it's not a different character. It's not a different person in the story. Abram and Abraham are the same person. And then I'm going to say Sarai and Sarah. That's the same, same person. You're going to see as the story progresses, their names change from one to the other. But I wanted to clarify that up front so you aren't out there like, there's so many characters and I can't follow. I don't get it. So for those of you that need that clarification, you are welcome. So here's where we are. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 15. But before uh, I get there, let me give you some background to build up to that. So Earlier on in Genesis chapter 11-ish, uh, the whole Tower of Babel thing has just ended. 
people are spreading all over the country. All the like-minded dialects and and languages are moving out together. So people are are spreading all over uh, the land at this time. And then verse 12 brings up genealogies. And if you've ever read genealogies or you don't know what those are, uh, think of Ancestry.com for the Bible. Like you type in Father Abraham, you hit search, and all of a sudden this tree sprouts up with hundreds of names, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, all the way down till we get to Abram. And basically all that pertains to us is that this is several generations beyond the Tower of Babel. So life has moved on, this family has moved on, and we're here to Abram. And then our first interaction with Abram is a conversation that he's having with God. And, and, and he's talking, God is talking to Abram. And he says this, he says, hey, Abram, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make you this huge, great nation. Uh, your descendants are going to be numerous across the face of the earth. I'm going to grow your power. I'm going to grow your strength. You will be a blessed nation, a blessed people. But I need you to get up. I need you to pack up all your stuff, your belongings, your family, your, your livestock. Um, and, and you're going to have to move. You're going to have to get out of here. Leave your home. Leave the rest of your family behind. Leave all your friends. Leave everything that you've been comfortable with and go. He's like, I've got this land that I'm preparing for you, that I, that I have for you. I, I'm going to take you there. You don't know where that's at yet. You don't know how long this journey is going to be. But just get up and go. Just pack everything up. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. We'll start this journey. That's kind of the conversation. So here's our our first opportunity to glimpse and see how strong, how how healthy Abram's faith is. So he gets this conversation, he finishes, and he's like, man, I guess this is what we got to do. So he talks to his wife, Sarai. They pack everything up. They get up. They get out of town. They leave everything that they've ever known, all their family, all their friends, and they just go. They don't have a, a final destination. They just go. So for the, the next several years, uh, they, they hop around. They're in Egypt for a little bit. They move from there to Bethel and to Canaan. And all this time, they're traveling. They're seeking God. And he's revealing bit by bit, piece by piece, where he wants them to go. And just like you and I, there's some ups and downs. They make some, some really good decisions along the way, things that please God. And then they make some choices that, may not please them as much, um, things that they regret. But uh, along the way, God's blessed them. He's directed them. He's grown their, their, their possessions. Uh, he's been with them. And, and then Genesis 15 happens, and we see another conversation between Abram and God, only this one's a little different. It says this in verse 3. Abram's talking. He says, God, what will you give me, seeing that I go childless? Then Abram said, look, You've given me no offspring. So Abram starts to worry is basically what it is. Worry and impatience. Anybody here struggle with worry and impatience? I'll put one hand up for each. So uh, that's me. Uh, God's told him, I'm going to do this great thing. I'm going to bring you to this land. I'm going to grow you, make you a huge nation. And so he's been faithful and he's followed this all on the way. But God's timing doesn't match up with Abram's timing. So Abram starts to wonder, how's this going to work, God? Um, you're going to make me a great nation. I, okay, I, I can picture that. I can see, you know, all my people, but the, there's a problem with that because I'm old. When I, when I left home, I was 70, and we've been traveling for so many years, and 
my wife was a little bit younger, but, you know, we've been on the road for so long. How are we going to conceive a child? I mean, Sarai is well past her years. She she can't birth me a child. How's how's this going to work, God? And, And God responds shortly after in the same chapter. He says this, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So in a time of worry, a time of impatience, God gives him a, a, a little jolt of hope. He says, look, remember what I told you? Remember what I pro- Do you remember what we were working for? Let me give you a visual representation of this. Look up in the sky. You see all these stars, all these millions of stars. They're going to represent your descendants. That's what, that's what the plan is. You remember? You, you with me now? Are you back in there? And the next verse, it says this. And he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So Abram believed. The first part of faith. I believe, God. I remember. That's right. I believe. I believe that you got a plan. I believe you're going to make this happen. But what did we say had to come along with belief? There had to be trust and there had to be loyalty. We had to provide action to support that belief. Our actions had to say, yes, that belief is, is true. That's, we are living that. We are living out what God is wanting us to do. Let's see what Abram's actions reveal to us in the very next chapter. Chapter 16 says this, uh, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. So she said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. So Abram gets this, this visual representation to kind of boost his, his faith and his hope. And he believes and he comes back and he's talking to his wife, man, God's going to do this. I, I'm rejuvenated. And then Sarai says, yeah, you know that I'm not going to have any kids, right? God's not allowed me to. He's taken me beyond that. But I've got a solution. See my servant here? She's really young and she's fertile. So I think our best course of action is you marry her. Let her have a son that could be ours. Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Sounds like a good plan. So Abram ponders this. And if we stop and think about it, we've done this time and time again in our lives. Have you ever had a time where you knew God was calling you to do something? He was leading you to go here or to do this or to be this. And you're like, God, yes, I'm excited. Thank you for that. But I think I know a faster or a quicker way to get there. I think I know a better way to do that. So I'm just going to do it. And then when we get there, we can celebrate together. Yeah, some of you guys are giggling because you've done that. You're like, oh, that's me. That's what Abram and Sarai did. They said, yeah, we believe that you've got this plan, but our actions are going to totally negate that because we don't trust your plan enough to follow it step by step. We're going to add our, our twist. We're going to take back control because we think we know what's better. God, I think I know what's better for my life. Have you said that? 
Maybe not audibly, but with your actions. And that's exactly what they did. So Abram's like, yes, Sarai, great idea. Let's do it. (laughs) So he goes and marries her servant, has a son, and they lived happily ever after, right? No. (laughs) They immediately regretted everything that they'd done. They're like, this can't be it. Bitterness, anger, resentment started to fill the family. Man, when we, when we take control and we try to do it on our own, how many times does it end in failure? How many times does it blow up in our face? How many times are there consequences that we have to deal with years and years down the road? Thankfully, Abram and Sarai serve the same God that we do. A God of second, third, eighth, 15th, and 40th chances. Verse, chapter 17, they go on and Abram's talking to God again. He's like, man, our way didn't work, God. You really? Shocked. I'm sure that's the conversation they had. I could have sworn your plan was good, Abram. Let me, let me share with you again my plan for you. And he goes out and he lists all these things that I'm going to make your nation great. And I'm going to bless those that bless you. And I'm going to curse those that curse you. But to do that, here's what you need to do. Abram, you will no longer be called Abram. You need to change your name to Abraham. And Sarai needs to change her name to Sarah. And I want all the men in your family and your household to be circumcised. And I want you to do this. And I want you to do that. And what's the, what's the importance of these things? Is there some dramatic reason that his name had to be changed? I don't think so. I think it's just God saying, okay, you believe again? Let's see what your actions are going to do. Change your name. What, what, God? Yeah, change your name. You're no longer Abram. You're Abraham. Yeah, but everybody knows me as Abram. That's, that's, that could cause some confusion. Yeah, yeah, do it. Okay. Yeah, Sarah's going to change her name too. Okay, yeah, we'll do it. Oh, all of us need to be circumcised? Yeah, let's go do it. Starting to let go of control. Starting to build back that faith. God, this is what you want? This is the plan and direction you're wanting me to go? Fine, it doesn't make sense. I'll change my name. I don't know why, but I'll do it. You want me to go do this? Fine, we're in. And you see their faith starting to grow back and grow stronger and be healthy again after having a period where they tried to do it on their own and their faith became weak. And what happens? God says this in verse 16, and I will bless her, talking about Sarah, and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be mother of all nations. Kings of people shall be from her. He says, oh yeah, and I haven't forgotten. I know you think Sarah's too old. I know she doesn't think she can have kids, but guess what? My plan is she's going to have a kid for you. As long as you stay with my plan. And guess what? Again, they let go of control and say, fine, we're in. 100% without question. We don't understand, but we're in. And just a couple chapters later, at the ripe age of 90 plus, Some of you ladies are like, oh, Lord. 90 plus, she gives birth 
to Isaac. And from him is birthed many nations and kings of nations come from their lineage. And God's plan is seen as coming to fruition. And they look back and they're like, why would we have ever doubted? Why do we feel the need to take control? And you're probably thinking, oh yeah, this is great. That's a, that's a beautiful Bible story that just happens to magically line up with what you're trying to share today. And it is, it works out really good. But guess what? God still does that. I'm 100% positive of it because I've experienced it. Man, when I was asked, what do you want to pass on? This, I want to pass on that if you want to grow your faith in God, you've got to let go of control in your life because he has been beating that into my head for the last two years. You see, last January, my wife and I were talking and praying and both of us felt God urging and calling us to, to come together and say, hey, we need to do a short-term mission trip together. I really think this is what God has. And she's like, yeah, I feel that too. Let's, let's pursue it. Let's look into that. Let's, let's do it. So the belief, we believe that he was urging us and calling and leading us this way. So we come to the, the Brentwood Global Meeting Night for all the teams. The first night where they break off into rooms and each trip has a team leader that just kind of shares the details and, and basic information. So we show up and we go back to room six for the Uganda team meeting. And Jeff Sellers is in there and uh, we're sitting in the very back of the room and there's 20 or 30 other people in there. And Jeff starts talking about, here's what we're going to do and here's the people we're going to impact. And, and here's what we've done in the past couple of years and a couple of trips. And God's really blessed that. And we've got a chance to go back in and support that even more. And we're seeing lives changed over there. And it's exciting. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. Let's do this. And then he's like, yeah, and the trip's 12 days long. And I was like, What? And he's like, yeah, and it's 30 hours of travel time on both ends. And I'm like, in a plane? He's like, yeah, most of it except for the seven-hour bus ride. I'm like, sweet. He's like, that's not the best part. It's $4,000 a person, give or take. I was like, oh, cool. So me and my wife, each $4,000. $8,000. Okay, yeah, sweet. Give us that application. We'll take it home and pray about it. And we went home and we set the application on the table and we were like, man, that really doesn't fit our schedule. July is not good for us because we got this family vacation at the end of the year. I don't know if we have enough days and it really doesn't fit our budget. And God wants us to be good stewards of what he's given us. So uh, if it doesn't fit, we probably, maybe we shouldn't do it this time. And we, we logically talked ourselves out of doing this trip justifying our decision because, oh no, we're just being careful with the money God's given us and we'll support others and pray for them. What were we doing? We were grasping control in our life and saying, no, I'm not letting go. I'm in control. What you're saying isn't logical. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand how we're going to get there. So we'll figure it out. We'll do it another time. And we missed out. We didn't go. So January of this year rolls around. Hey, Mark, I think you and Emily should do a short-term mission trip. God, what? Again? Yeah, you should do it. 
okay, we're in. I talked to my wife. Hey, let's do it. Yeah. This time we're going to be proactive. We found out what trips were going when. We got some of that information and we brought it home. We're like, oh, they're going to Guatemala. It's only seven days. It's only $1,800. It's, it's in August. That, that fits our schedule. Let's do it. We're in. Yay. God, are you happy? We're in. So we show up on Brentwood Global Night this year. And we go back to the Guatemala team meeting and there's 30, 40 people in there and people that we serve with and people that we consider friends. And so there's this excitement of, hey, this is going to be awesome. We get to go do this mission trip with friends and, oh, it'll be great. And so the team leaders got up and started talking and I immediately started to sweat, which I know isn't unusual for me, but this was a different kind of sweat. And I was uncomfortable and I couldn't focus. And the leaders are sharing, and I'm sure what they're talking about is amazing ministry that's going to be happening there. And I can't focus. I just want to be out of that room. So they finish the meeting and I bolt. I'm out of that door as fast as I possibly can be. And I'm in the hallway waiting for my wife to make her way out. And she comes out and I'm like, whew, all right, let's go. And she's like, hey, they set it up this year so we can do two meetings in one night if there's another trip we're interested in. I was like, oh, yay. She's like, we should go to the Uganda meeting because we got several friends that are going and, you know, we want to hear how that and just support them. We, don't, we know we're not doing that. I was like, okay, let's go. So we get in there. Jeff Sellers is in there again. <laughs> we sit there. And he's like, oh, you missed the good meeting because this team leader is in Uganda right now and he just Skyped back and told all the awesome things that they're doing. So this meeting won't be as exciting, but... We'll still share some good things. And he started to talk. He started to share about all the things that we were going to do and all the lives that we were going to impact and the things that are happening as we were meeting on the ground over there. My heart broke. Just broke. And I couldn't listen to anything else that he said because all I could hear inside was God saying, this is what I have for you. This is what I have for you. So the meeting ended and we got in the car and we're driving home and it's quiet and I'm fighting and wrestling with how the heck am I going to tell my wife? Hey, I know we sat down and planned this out and I know we agreed on Guatemala, but we're going to change that and go to Uganda. And as I'm having that conversation in my head, while I'm driving, and I'm sure it probably wasn't a wise thing to do, but I was. And she leaned over and she's like, so we're going to Uganda, right? <laughs> and it was at that moment that the two of us just let go. And we said, yeah, I don't know how we're going to raise $8,000. And I don't know how it's going to fit into our schedule. And we don't know what God's going to do when we're there. But if this is where he's leading, we believe that he's calling us here. We're going to trust in his plan and we're going to be loyal and follow it 100% and not deviate to the left or the right. And he's blown us away. Blown us away. He's provided our funds. He put us on a team of people that are so on fire for God And so 
empowering for us. He's brought Emily and I closer. And we don't even, haven't even left yet. We don't leave for another 13 days. I could get there, get a mosquito bite. My head could swell up. It could be a horrible trip. But that's not the point. We're not being faithful and growing our faith and asking God to reveal his plan so that we can get stuff. Abraham and Sarah didn't say, well, only because you're going to make us a great nation are we going to do these things. No. We, we grow our faith and give up control because that puts us closer to God. It makes it easier for us to follow the plans that he has for us and those urgings and promptings that we're so tempted to say, no, I'm not letting go of that. But if we grow our faith day by day and we make a concerted effort to say, no, God, it's, I believe and I trust and I'm loyal to and our faith grows and strengthens and strengthens to the point where he calls you to do something that doesn't make sense that may be hard, that may be uncomfortable, and you're like, yes, I'm all in, without hesitation. Probably very similar to the people that you had in your mind at the very beginning of service. Yes, I'm in. It's illogical, it doesn't make sense, I don't see any way around it, but I'm in. Because of our bottom line. In order to grow your faith in God, you must give up control in your life. What does that practically mean for us today? Maybe you're out there and you're like, this whole faith in God thing, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't, I don't even know. I'm not sure who this God, I don't have this relationship you're talking about. Well, we can stop right here and, and focus on that because that's, that's key. That's key to life. If you're here and you've never entered into a personal relationship with God, you've never said, hey, I know that you died for my sins. I know that I do wrong. And the only way to get forgiveness of those is by accepting you and your gift of dying on the cross for my sins. If you've never done that, I pray that you do not leave this room today without coming to find me or coming down front and just speaking to God and saying, I don't understand how to do this, but I know that I'm a sinner and I know that you love me and you want to save me and that you want to wash my sin away. So if you've never done that, let today be the day. But for you, Christian, maybe you have intentionally withheld control in your life. Maybe you've told God, hey, I will follow you wherever, but don't interfere with my family. I've got control. My family's good where we are. We like the way things are at. I'm good. I've got control there. So don't worry about that. We're good. Or maybe you said, hey, my family, have it. Bring us close, bring us together, but leave my work alone. I've got a reputation to uphold. People look at me a certain way, so 
I have to act and do certain things to stay in control there. So I'm not, I'm not going to let go of that. But you can have everything else. If you've been doing that, stop. Stop today. Man, your faith is withering and weakening to the point where it's going to be non-existent. The more we rely on ourselves, the more pain, the more heartache, the more struggle. That doesn't mean that when we give God control, we don't experience those things. But what it means is that when we let go of control and we follow his plan and heartache and hurts and trials come, he's right there with us. Or maybe there's a few of you out there that are like, no, I'm doing this. I'm growing my faith. I'm like Abraham. I, I stepped out of this comfort zone and I'm headed somewhere. I'm just getting impatient and worried. May I ask God today to give you a boost, a jolt. Ask him to, to re-fortify his calling and his plan. Because he will, just like he did for Abram. Look, look, don't worry. This is what I've got for you. He says in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, that I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. If that's what you want, his plan, him to prosper us, him to, to give us a future and hope, all you got to do is let go. Submit today and say, God, I'm done. I'm done trying to control. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we love you so much. What an awesome God you are. What an awesome father you are. To know that you love us so much that you have an individual specific plan and calling for each person in this room. And it blows my mind. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts today. That if we just are struggling and and trying to control that we would let go. Maybe for the very first time. Lord, we know that's what you want. We know that's what you are asking. And I, I pray that as you guys come, if you come forward this morning and ask God to do that, Lord, that that you would come knowing and expecting him to, to reveal to you that plan and knowing and expecting him to take control of your life. And as you come down here and pray about that, know that you won't be praying alone because here at Brentwood, we don't do that. We, we, we make sure that as people are dealing and the spirit is working in their lives that we come around and we pray for them and pray over them. So if you're worried about being all alone as you make this choice, you're not. But today can be the day that you start building a faith that lasts, that is so strong, that is so evident that when people ask that question, who's the most faithful person they know? Your name can be mentioned.
I love you guys. God, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.